if you're not familiar with the Bible and you didn't grow up hearing stories, I just want to give you like a one-minute summary from the beginning of the Bible to where we're going to be landing right now. So you remember back in the Garden of Eden, that's the early part of the book of Genesis, there was Adam and Eve. She, she ate some fruit, probably wasn't an apple, don't know what it was. She ate it, sin and death was brought into the world. Um, because of that, um, a curse came into the world. And part of that curse was over Satan, the devil himself. And what God said in Genesis 3 was that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And her seed will crush your head. So that is talking about Jesus someday, like actual seed. We're talking biologically that someday the seed of a woman, even though a woman was part of the fall, a woman, Mary, is going to get to be a beautiful part of redemption story, and her seed is going to crush the head of Satan of sin and death. So that's in Genesis, right? So after that, you see all these interactions between God and usually a man, sometimes a woman, in the Old Testament in the Bible. So you can think of Noah, Noah, and the ark. There's always this person of faith that God has favor and grace that he's displaying toward their life, and he's bringing this person along. So you've got Noah, then you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then you get to, to um, Joseph is in the mix as well. So you've got these individual patriarchs that God is revealing himself, and it's all for the purpose of revealing himself to a nation that he's choosing, and then ultimately to all of us today through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So where we are in this story, we're pretty far out from the Garden of Eden, but we're nowhere near the birth of Jesus yet. Um, whenever God makes a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham is the man that it talks about several times in Genesis, but in Genesis 12, you'll find when God talks about his covenant with Abraham, and he says, I want to bless you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. How many of you know Abraham did not get to see the, the extent of what this great nation would be. Those are literally the Jews that still exist today, the nation of Israel. So he makes this promise and this covenant with him. And in that, he tells him, someday your people are going to be enslaved. Your, your nation, your children, your sheep, they're going to be enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. Okay? So right before we get into where we are now, God hears the cries of his people. He remembers his covenant with Abraham. And he picks this man named Moses to lead them out of oppression and slavery back into the promise that he has had for them all along. So when we've met together, we've talked specifically about two aspects of the story. We talked about when they were initially leaving Egypt and they got up to the Red Sea, and everyone remembers what happens. Moses raised his staff, God parted the waters, and they stepped Forward. We know that from that week when we talked about that, that the presence of God was continually guiding them. It would go ahead of them either as a pillar of cloud or of fire. So they were never without direction. Never. Not once. God's presence was with them, manifested in that way during their full journey. So we talked about that. Then we talked about how three days after that, they got really hungry and they got hangry and they got grouchy. And God gave them manna and he gave them water from the rock and he gave them a quail. And how we talked about grace is the pathway forward and how God always is giving provision, even though it may not look like what we're expecting. So that, that was a, a small journey out from, from when they left Egypt. Now we're about three months out. And I've skipped over quite a bit. Katie, if you'll put that slide up. I've skipped over some of the chapters in Exodus. 
And uh, I do recommend that you read the whole book for yourself. I'm not going to read all these scriptures to you today, but everything that I'm going to say is founded in these scriptures. And because not everyone knows me, and because I am human and prone to error, I definitely encourage you to check what I'm saying is truth. Don't don't believe it just because I'm smiling and it, it sounds like it's truth. Like, check it for yourself. So... This is what's going on. God has introduced himself to all these people over the years that we just recapped some of those people. And now he is going to introduce himself to the nation. It's exciting. It's unprecedented. It's not happened. It's something God has been planning for since he talked about that redemptive seed all the way back in Genesis. And so you may be thinking at this point, why does God need a special nation? He needed that nation by his plan to pick, to protect, to possess so that he could bring Jesus out of that lineage. That's the whole purpose of why this specific why the specific nation? And so um, they really just don't get it, quite frankly. Some of them do. Some of them don't. And if you've read any of the Old Testament, they'll just make you sick to your stomach, the Israelites in this journey, because they do things that are just horrible. And so with that said, as I dove into this passage this week, one that everyone's probably going to know, um, we're going to talk about idol worship and the infamous golden calf. I was super convicted because I realized that more often than not, I am the idol worshiper at the bottom of the mountain uh, than the humble servant at the top of the mountain. And I'm going to talk about why that is. And it's a lot less about a golden calf than, than maybe what you're, you're picturing at the forefront of your mind. And so I want to back up by disclosing to you my age. I'm 30. I know. I look a lot younger, but I'm actually 30. It's shocking to me. But... So it was my 30th birthday this year, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes as a woman, I like to have a sense of control. Anyone else like that? No? Yeah. So I'm thinking my 30th birthday is approaching, and my husband, I know he's pretty predictable, so I know he's thought to do something, but I better check in on what it is he's going to do because there's probably some kind of oversight with it. And it's not that I was expecting anything grand. I just needed to know what he was going to do. And so... He just mentioned to me shortly thereafter, hey, let's just be low-key, go to this restaurant with the, there's a certain group of friends that we've, we've been friends since we became parents, and we go out to eat ever so often with this specific group. He said, let's go with this group to this restaurant and eat. And I said, that sounds nice, but that won't work. And he said, why? And I said, well, because I have some other friends, and it might hurt their feelings if they thought that I didn't want them to be there. And so I'm like, you're going to have to change the plans. Well, Lila knows the story. My husband actually had been very thoughtful, and he had reserved this banquet room for me at this venue, and he had began making uh, steps in the right direction to, to invite more people that, that are friends of mine. And I really just didn't know that he had it in in him and so <laughs> and so I really messed everything up that did not come to fruit we I had a great 30th birthday and we did celebrate with friends but he had planned something in his heart for me that was very special and because I had a desire to be in control and I didn't trust that he could accomplish it without without hurting other people and um, I really ruined the plan and so, not to oversimplify this, but this is kind of what's happening with the nation of Israel here. God has brought them out to the wilderness, and he's telling Moses, he says, I want you to gather the nation together. I'm going to make my manifest presence known to them. They're going to hear me speaking to you, and they're going to know that, that I 
and God, and he introduces his name. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he says, this is going to be my special possession. This is going to be my holy nation of priests. And so God just has these awesome plans. And so the people get this revelation uh, from Moses, from God, and they affirm, we, we are in. We will be your, your people, Lord. And so the Lord takes it a step further. This is all kind of around the Mount Sinai area. If you've ever watched like the old Ten Commandments, maybe you can picture, picture the mountain. And so, so these people are there at the mountain. So God, in his goodness, takes it further. He allows some of them... Uh, about 70 or more, actually, to come closer into his presence. And it says that they saw a manifestation of the Lord, and the ground that he stood on was like sapphire. And it says that they ate, and they drank, and they fellowshiped in his presence. So that as the Lord does, he calls Moses and his attendant Joshua. Joshua will be the, the man, by the way, that actually leads them into the promised land. He calls them higher up to the mountain so that he can give them more revelation about these plans that are not new to the Lord, plans that he crafted back from the foundations of the earth about all these renegades running around in, in the wilderness at this time. And so Moses says to the people, I'm going to go up further on the mountain. I want you to stay here and I want you to wait. And, and I'm going to send Aaron and her with you. Aaron is Moses' brother. Um, he is a he plays a very key role in scripture, and we'll talk more about him in just a minute. So I want to just pause right there for a minute and say, uh, I think there's truth even in what I just summarized right there, that there's always, there's always more of the Lord to be seen and experienced. Some experienced him um, at a distance. They actually said, we're afraid and we don't want to come closer. Some experienced him um, in, in a meal and a fellowship and peace offering and in that way. And then Moses and Joshua had this totally different experience. And so while Moses and Joshua are up on the mountaintop having this intimate experience with the Lord that I might add is for the benefit of everyone down at the bottom, the folks at the bottom start to tire and to grow weary. They start to be like me in a 30-year-old birthday scenario thinking something is not Something's not right. This is taking a while. It, was about, it had been about 40 days. That's what scripture says, that Moses had been up there for about 40 days. And so they contrive a plan to move forward with God's plan, right? Because they knew that God wanted to take them into the wilderness, I mean, out of the wilderness, into the promised land. And so they're going to come up with their own plan to move forward, but it doesn't have to involve the presence of God. And so... That is where we're going to get into talking about idol worship. I don't expect that many of you have worshipped golden cows. Like, I've never seen one before. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that's something that we do. It's not culturally part of, of, of the norm here. Um, but I don't want us to be so far removed from, from what's really going on here that we can't see our propensity to be the people at the golden cow. And so I do want to say, because I always want everyone to feel encouraged when they walk in and out of this place. And so if some of this feels heavy, I don't want you to feel condemned or feel beaten. Um, we started by talking about the goodness of God, like there's a redemption plan, there's a redemption thread going on throughout the whole story of the Bible. This is a stop in the road. And even after this huge mishap tonight, we're going to end back with the continuance of that plan and back with the goodness of God. But we're going to look at a really messy story in the, in, in the medium. And so um, Exodus 32, if you do want to look along, this is 
this is a place that I'll be camping for just a minute if you want to flip open or look on your phone. If I was going to title this something, I might call it Worship in the Waiting. And, and I say, um, I, I say waiting um, aware of, of the wait spell differently that is behind that word because I think in here everyone has something they're waiting on everyone uh, it's something that you've prayed to the Lord for and you've not seen it yet it's something um, that has been spoken over you you've not seen it yet it's a desire that's in your heart that you feel like God put there and you've not seen it yet um, maybe it's an improvement to a health condition but if you are in this life like I am we are all in an element of waiting and so we either believe that God is working on our behalf on that mountain or he's not. And we're going to be worshiping something during the wait. We're either going to be worshiping God, knowing that he's good on his holy mountain and that he is working in our, our behalf, or we're going to find something else to worship and pay homage to when we're not seeing results. And again, this is, I'm speaking to myself. I am as guilty as anyone of this. So Exodus 32, the grand plan commences. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered together before Aaron, this is Moses' brother, and said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I just wanna say right there, right off the bat, their focus was on man, it was not on God. They were waiting to see the manifestation of God's goodness in a person. And it doesn't work that way. Sometimes we do get to see God's goodness through a person. But if our soul vision, our soul experience of faith is watching someone else instead of um, realizing the goodness of the Lord that has gone behind us and gone ahead of us and that is with us currently, we're always going to end up disillusioned, looking for something else to lead us because we're people, we're human, and we make mistakes. So I just want to note there, like, to an extent, they had begun to worship Moses. And when when he felt them in the sense, he didn't, Moses didn't do anything wrong. He was spending time with the Lord for their purpose. But when he didn't show back up in the scene soon enough, they're ready to ditch him, move along with God's plan, so on and so forth. So the people say, come Make us a God, little g, that's just indicating like one of a, a variety of, of some small type of God who will go before us. Um, a different translation says, who will go before us and protect us. So I think idol worship, like I said, that can be uh, placing our expectation in a person in a man's timing. I think idol worship can be looking for a false sense of safety and security. Right, so they want something that is go that they can just make with their own hands. That's going to lead them out and it's going to protect them. And they want to create that. And I think, I think we probably all have a tendency to do that. Sometimes we experience security from different things. You know, what I experience security from eating. Like I really like it. There's nothing I would just leisurely do than eat a good meal and that's the truth and I've learned though that some of my eating is it's like emotional eating 
it's like, oh, this feels good, and I don't have to think about that crazy old real estate client or whatever, right, Kathy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Any of my clients are in here. Um, <laughs> and so, but I'm like, just anything to help me forget that I'm, I'm in the way of something that's unresolved. I want this false sense of security, something that's going to lead me out of this place of waiting and something that's going to protect me and, and move things along. And so, again, as you think about idol worship in your life and the propensity to be drawn toward that while you are waiting, you have to ask, am I focusing on man? Am I focusing on a false sense of security? And so, in verse 2 of chapter 32, it says, So Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. This is very significant because in Exodus 3 and Exodus 12, we learn where they got all this gold and silver. Exodus 12 verse 36 says that God gave them favor with the Egyptians so that everything they asked for, the Egyptians gave them. And they adorned their children with all of this jewelry. And God did that for, for a specific reason. And so they're taking the favor of God in this moment and they're using it for something that there's going to be no return from. They're using it toward worshiping and exalting something else that is going to, to move them along. And I just think, man, how many times have I done that in my life, Lord, that you have brought favor into my life for a very specific reason and purpose, but I didn't see the, the vision of it. I was short-sighted, and I used it for some sort of game that was menial and, and temporary. And so, in verse 3, it continues, So all the people took off all the gold rings that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. So I just picture this exchange of favor. Like, God, you brought us up out of here, um, and we recognize that that happened, but now we're just going to turn this over and move forward with something else. Verse 4 says, And Aaron took the gold from their hands and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a molten calf. And he said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Just blows my mind. <laughs> I really can't wrap my, my mind around that. It says, Now, when Aaron saw the molten calf, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow this will be a feast to the Lord. And if you're looking in your Bible, you'll notice that's a capital L. Aaron's talking about the one true God. He's talking about Yahweh. And he <laughs> he is incorrectly assuming that he can explicitly disobey God by creating an idol, by using the favor and anointing to lead a nation um, on his life and leading people in this direction. And so I've been guilty of that too. And I'm thinking, Lord, I know this isn't the way that you told me to do things, but I, I'm kind of trying to do the right thing uh, for, for you, Yahweh, Lord, with a big L. And so uh, this is where I want to pause and bring it home to you. I want to talk for just for a minute about Aaron. And I want you to understand what God was doing in his delay, what was a perceived delay to them. While Aaron is allowing the people to exchange the favor of God for idol worship, this is literally what the Lord is saying. Exodus 28, 1 through 3. Have Aaron, your brother, brought up to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as a holy priest. 
Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. This was a tent of the meeting was the place that God's presence was going to dwell so that the people could worship, worship him. It says, take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself in the breast piece. Fasten, fasten on him by the skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Tie sashes on them. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. God had a very specific plan for Aaron. And so did the enemy. And in this moment of waiting, the enemy literally warped it. Instead of Aaron being this anointed priest that was going to lead the nation and sacrifice and offering worship to the Lord, he led them away from it in that moment. And I think, man, what does that look like in my life and your life? What, what's the anointing and the calling on our life that God has called out from the top of the mountain, right? To say, Jamie, you're an artist. Jennifer, you're an influencer, an encourager. Debbie, you have the gift of mercy and hospitality. Like, what are those things that the Lord has spoken over us that the enemy knows about, but we may not know about it at all, and we're giving in to this moment of idol worship in a season of waiting because we don't understand the goodness of God on the mountain speaking to the plan of goodness that he has for us. So when you see Aaron taking all that favor of gold and silver, throwing it into something, making a calf, isn't it just heartbreaking to imagine that God had this special, special plan? So this is where it continues. Skipping down to verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they've made for themselves a molten calf, and they've worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and they've said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Can you imagine God's people, this nation he's been planning to reveal himself to from the foundation of the world? They're having this worship party in the wilderness without him. Just let that hit for a second. They're having a worship service in the wilderness without the Lord. And not only that, they're saying, God, we want the things that you have. We want the promised land. We want the blessing. We want the plan. We really don't care if it's you that goes with us or not. The scripture tells us that God's presence, the manifestation of his presence through the cloud was with them all the time. It never departed. So even in these 40 days, while they're waiting at the base of the mountain, there's evidence of God's presence there. They lost sight of it with their eyes because they never, they never focused on it with their heart. And so, man, that weighs heavy to me. So moving on, I'm going to skip ahead a few verses to verse 17. It says, now when Joshua, Joshua is with Moses at the top of the mountain, when he heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's the sound of battle in the camp. And I would say that's spiritual insight. There absolutely was the sound of battle in the camp. It was the sound of spiritual warfare, of the enemy coming in, convincing this people that God had forgot about them, and convincing them to take all their favor, all their blessing, opportunity, melt it into a golden calf, and worship it for nothing. But Moses says, it's not the sound of the cry of victory, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but I hear the sound of singing. And so again, this picture of the Israelites having this worship service 
without the Lord, without care for the Lord. And so a chapter later, we're going to see what it looks like to worship God in the waiting. But I just want to pause for a second and ask you to reflect and think, God, is there something that you're working on right now in my life? And I've doubted your goodness about it. Have I started worshiping and exalting man above you? Have I started um, going back to, to something that I can see tangibly? You know, the reason they made a calf was because in the old kingdom of Egypt, there was um, a calf idol that was called Asaph. He was a manifestation of some other Egyptian god. It was something they had seen before during their time in slavery. So not only did they sell out to make something temporal, they went with something that was familiar to their eyes. And I don't know about you guys, but there are a lot of things familiar in life that are not good and holy things. Maybe it's how you deal with conflict. Maybe it's how you choose to move forward and press in or press out. You go back to the way your family's done it, and that may be a broken way. That may be an old, bad pathway to travel on, but that's what's going on here. That's why, that's why the calf. So after all this happens, there is wrath poured out, and I want to be clear about that. So if you're reading it later, you're like, oh, I thought God was so good, and some people lose their life over it. That's, some people do lose their life over it. God is a just God, and in the Old Testament before Jesus, he did pour his wrath out when the people disobeyed in circumstances like this. But for us, if Jesus, if the blood of Jesus is on our lives, he poured his wrath out on Jesus. So that is not our experience today. And that is something you can take to the bank, take to eternity. So after all of this, Moses goes down, deals with the people, deals with the craziness of what's going on. Aaron says to him, to him basically, I'm so sorry, I was afraid of man. He exchanges like his fear of God for fear of man. And that never, ever ends well. It has not ended well for me yet when I've made the decision to do that. So moving on and concluding in Exodus 33, verse 12, Moses is coming kind of into the presence of the Lord in a way that is face-to-face, face, face, not necessarily physically face-to-face. Face. And in verse 12 of chapter 33 of Exodus, Moses says to the Lord, See you say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, Moses, and you've found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray to you, if I have found favor, let me know your ways so that I may know you more intimately, recognizing and understanding your ways more clearly. And then I might find grace and favor in your sight. And consider also that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest by bringing you into the promised land. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with me, do not lead us up from here. If your presence does not go with me, do not lead us up from here. That's the heart of worship of the one true God. While you're in the season of waiting, of crying out to the Lord and saying, I want what's ahead. But if you're not in it with me, Lord, and it's not what you have for me, I don't want to move in that direction. The Israelites were the opposite. They said, we want it, but we don't care if you come. And we all fall into that category. Thank God for his mercy. He's going to introduce himself as merciful in just a second. It's really good. Don't worry, I'm wrapping up. <laughs> so <laughs> the Lord says to Moses, I will do this thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight. And I have known you personally by name. Then Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness 
pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. For I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. While my glory is passing by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and protectively cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand so that you may see my back, but my face you shall not see. He gives him some further instructions going into chapter 34, verse 5, verse 6. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, keeping mercy and loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but not leaving the guilty unpunished and avenging what has been done to the third and fourth generation. Then it says, Moses bowed to the earth immediately and worshiped. And he said, if I have now found favor and loving kindness in your sight, O Lord, please go in our midst. Though this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your possession. And then you know what happens and how the story ends? Then God says, behold, I'm going to make a covenant. He does it anyway. Even though they messed it up, he does it anyway. Before all your people, I will do wondrous works, such as have not been created or produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among who you live shall see the working of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I am going to do. Man, isn't that good? Started with God introducing himself and introducing this covenant of old, the Abrahamic covenant, to this nation. And then we see them totally falling off the wagon, so to speak. And then we see God coming back and tenderly saying, I'm going to renew this covenant with you. But what I love and what I want you to take away from this is Moses' heart of worship and the waiting. That he says, I don't want to go without you, Lord. I need your presence. I want your presence. Show me all that you have for me. Show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. And when you're in a season of waiting, that's what you need to see. You need to see the goodness of God. You need to know the goodness of God. You need to recall it, bring it up to mind over and over again. You know what the Israelites could have done while they were at the bottom of the mountain? They could have said, thank you, God, for bringing us out of slavery. Thank you, God, for parting the Red Sea. Thank you, God, for bringing the Egyptians into it and closing the waters back over them. Thank you, God, for the manna that we've eaten every day for the past three months. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And you know what? Then I think they probably would have continued to experience their presence in a way that easily pacified their fear of man not showing up on their watch. Right? So as we um, talk about the goodness of God, we've got a little gift that we want to give to you all. Um, in walking with the Lord, it would be totally um, dishonest of me to say that I think you can have substantial growth in your walk without being in the Word of God. I, I don't think in our day and age, if you are able to read, if you have the capability to read, and you live in the U.S. like we are here, like reading the Word of God, like consuming it, that's what's going to change your life more than anything. And so I love that we get to gather and worship and be encouraged about the goodness of the Lord, that His name is merciful um, and gracious and compassionate. But we have to remember those things more than one time a month. And hopefully... You're in church on Sunday, too, calling those things up. This is, um, like, not a meal replacement shake. This is a supplement to your church on Sunday. We're not trying to replace your church involvement. But um, we decided that we're going to do a memory verse of the month. 
and we're going to commit to memorizing it. And for accountability, we may even post videos of ourselves saying our memory verse. I would totally invite everyone to do that and hashtag Entourage Ministry so that we can see you doing it. But this is a verse that we thought you could hide in your heart going into this next year. And this is what it says. We put it on this little ring thing, a note card ring, because we're going to give you one every single month. And you know what? As you see things the Lord speaks to you, like get a note card, write it down, or you're praying for someone, write it down on the note card. Just look at those note cards and those verse cards every single day. So Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14, this is what it says. I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for and confidently expect the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for and confidently expect the Lord. So this is what scripture says happens when you hide this seed. When you hide this word in your heart, it's like planting seed. And it's going to bring something good out of you. So if you're in a wait right now for something, and tomorrow you receive news that just takes you a step back further than today, you know what a good, true response to that is? I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is truth. You can take it to the bank. So every time despair shows up, say, I see you, but I'm not going to dwell with you because I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. Amen? Yeah. So Jesse, Rachel, if you guys will come back up. Sarah. They're going to lead us just in a response song. And um, if anyone is in, in a season of waiting, you're like, I just really need someone to pray for me because I'll, I, I'm stuck. Let us pray with you. We've got someone in the back to do that with you. And, and I, I do want to say, if you've not accepted Jesus as Lord, if you don't understand and know that all of this happened just so that this nation moves along and Jesus can, can come out of this nation so that he can live and die and be our Savior, that's what it's all about. So if you've never accepted him as Savior of your heart, um, we want to introduce you to him. So we'll be in the back so you can do that too. But God bless you, ladies. Enjoy your time of worship with the Lord.